0: Many people find themselves today struggling with hormone health and they just don't know where to turn. Tired, weak, maybe moody. That's not a great way to go through life, but how do you know if your hormones are off? And if you find that they are, or maybe they're not at optimal, what questions do you ask? Who do you see? How do you take control of your life and partner with your healthcare professionals to get your health back? today's guest is going to answer all those questions and more welcome to the evolve podcast evolve your body evolve your mind evolve your soul and evolve your tribe and now it's time to disrupt and with that folks you want to welcome you to another episode of the evolve podcast Lost somewhere in the mountains of Utah, I am your host, Steve Cutler, and we are really fortunate today to be joined by one of the smartest people I know, and uh, truly someone that every single time we have a conversation, I learn not just one thing new, but several things new. Celeste and thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today.
1: Thank you. What a good introduction. That's pretty. I got to live up to that now, huh?
0: You always do. <laughs> Even when we just see Thanks. each other in passing, uh, there's just some sort of uh, bit of knowledge or wisdom or something that you have learned that has just uh, blown my mind. So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do.
1: Um, I'm a nurse practitioner, and I started learning about hormones probably about seven or eight years ago, and then I started practicing them. Um, a little bit more directly in the last four years. So um, a lot of people, I was family practice. I went to Georgetown and DC. Oh, yes. um, <laughs> Love it. Uh, um, so what happened is, is I started to notice that patients were coming in and they were having a lot of symptoms. And we would do these labs and the labs were dictated by what I was allowed to do in a health insurance model or a hospital model. yeah. So I would do very basic or middle labs. And then what would happen was the symptoms would be there, but normal, we talked about normal Well, you're within normal range. And what, when we say that to people, it's kind of deceiving because normal is like a safety range, not necessarily right. optimal of how we want to feel. So that's kind of how I got into hormone therapy and, um, just working with patients. So I did family practice. And then I got more into um, functional medicine and, and really like trying to help pay patients pursue optimal help.
0: Yeah, I like to, I like you bring out the difference between optimal and normal. Because if we think about what's normal in America, what's normal in America is that I am uh, low energy, I, I probably go eat out the majority of my meals. I drive everywhere. I don't walk and if i have a gym membership i might show up once a month like that is normal for america and so normal is different than optimal and i think normal unfortunately that it's becoming a sliding scale that continues to go downhill uh, where normal means that we are in more pain uh, less energy less energetic less vibrant and so uh, I think for any of our listeners who have heard the term normal before when they go to the doctor and they walk out and they think, but I don't feel good, well, that's probably normal. So we need to discuss <laughs> right. and, take, uh, and, and deconstruct today the difference between normal and optimal. Um, before we jump into hormone health though, I wanna start with a question that I think might be beneficial for our listeners, because as I mentioned in the introduction, you are one of the most fascinating people that I know uh, to talk to, and you always have new things that you're learning. How do you stay up on top of it all? What is your study research uh, process look like? How is it that you are constantly learning?
1: Um, I think... <laughs> I think one of the ways that I've learned the most is I train for a bunch of different companies. And in this role, what happens is people ask me questions and Mm. when I don't know the answer, I'm put on the spot of always having to learn. Yeah. And then for me, patience, patience drives me to learn because I will meet a unicorn or a panda and they've gone through so many processes and they've worked with so many different people And I feel like I want to be able to be a resource to say when I can achieve a goal for them or when I can't, if I need to find another direction. So what motivates me to pursue knowledge is, you know, um, the lack of ever feeling like I've learned enough. You know, there's always a caveat and a nuance, even with hormones. They're so much more complicated than um, ordering something off of Amazon to feel better, they're very complicated, and just trusting them to anyone it's a great honor when someone trusts me with their hormonal health, right? Because it affects everything in your body. So, um, also, I'm omni carnivorous for reading and knowledge,
2: yeah. So I, I,
1: I listen to like five books a month and then I'll read with my eyes five. That's kind of my rule. <laughs> it's
0: beautiful. Omnicarnivorous. I love that when it comes to reading. And you're certainly a polymath. I mean, you're you're the type of person where you have developed knowledge and skills and abilities in uh, many different areas. So that doesn't surprise me. I love the, uh, the thought process of you're taking on the challenges of putting yourself out there to the world, training other people, and then you're also treating people. And with each opportunity that you don't know, that's an opportunity for you to grow that's a, a mantra that I've held for years if I don't know that's my time to grow and what a great way to lean into that continual learning but you also like you said you have several things going on and I know there are times where like you and I have uh, texted back and forth different audio books uh, and sometimes those are just random uh, fiction books right they're not always the I'm learning I'm learning I'm learning because I think fiction you can learn as much uh, and from as anything else. Uh, understanding like the a good sci-fi, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. A dystopian sci-fi for the yeah. social constructs. Yeah, yeah. I love I love all types of knowledge, and I like to be entertained for sure. Awesome. But I can't always watch Netflix because I have to do my whole life. So yeah. when busy. I'm driving, or yeah, I like to but I usually do like a ratio for myself. I can't do all entertaining or all learning. Otherwise I get imbalanced with, you know, like how into a subject you get or how motivated or dedicated it can be obsessive. So you have to balance yourself.
0: I think there's a lot of wisdom to that too. And as we, as we uh, move into talking about hormone health uh, it, it's not just one thing. And I think when you're learning, you have to learn a lot of different things in life. You can't just be a one trick pony and you can't just be a person that says, uh, this is my specialty and that's it. You know, I, I, it's, it's funny. I've been talking to some people recently uh, and, and just peeling onion layers back and saying, Hey, I love doing this podcast. Obviously we want to continue to see it grow. What's your perspective? and, There's been a common theme where people say, well, Steve, you're not niched it down enough. If you just talked about this one way of exercising, or if you just talked about this one diet, you'd probably grow grow quicker. And I said, well, I'm gonna continue to break that rule then because uh, I don't wanna do that. I've got too many interests and I'm sure that there are other people out there like me that are going to find some of these things interesting and they will continue to follow us, which it's working. Maybe we're not growing as fast as what we could if we just talked about uh, eating kale every day. But uh, uh you know.
1: I disagree with that model. I think that's a marketing tactic, but not longevity. Yeah.
0: Right.
2: Because right.
1: what happens is people are way more complicated than one preference. Even if you think about your podcast listening, I don't listen to any one podcast that's repetitive all the right. time. I have right. to I don't like a all the time crime murder. I get a little bored of the same patterns. So i think the diversity really helps people to come back to the model to see if there's something new
0: absolutely you know and we're diverse individuals and i think as you referenced earlier there's a diversity there's a biochemistry inside of us that people do not understand on their own you know we uh we don't typically do our own taxes we don't fix our own cars uh you know we don't uh, we don't look at life and say i'm going to do all of that on my own and yet for some reason We think that just because a beautiful bit of marketing popped up telling us that this pill, this supplement is going to help us to get more testosterone, that that's the thing we should buy. So much more complexity to hormone health as it relates to overall health. So let's talk a little bit about uh, some signs and some symptoms that would cause somebody to say, hey, I might have an issue and I might need to get my testosterone, my estrogen, my whatever it is that they have heard tested, what are the signs and symptoms that you typically see?
1: Um, I think that there are some overlap between men and women. So I think that's a good place to start is where they overlap. I think for both men and women, you start to notice, um, a decrease, a lot of, okay, I guess let's do it separate. Men come in to me for a decrease in sex drive or ED. Okay. Really, really common. Those are the most common. For women, they come in for primarily more like sleeping problems or treatment of hot flashes for menopausal symptoms. Yeah. But some of our symptoms can overlap in male and female because they affect Mm. the same pathways. And we both have testosterone and estrogen. So that's why there's so much overlap. Um, for men, you'll notice like a reduction in lean muscle mass. So even if you're working out, even if you're eating your kale, um, even if you're, you know, really dedicated to your body as treating it like your home and how you live in it, um, you are going to notice a decrease in lean muscle mass and what they call a central adiposity, Mm. meaning weight that is around the midsection's in addition to visceral fat, which is weight around your organs. So there that shift, that shift definitely happens to men in their forties, this increase in fat, um, and decrease in lean muscle mass decrease in testosterone can cause depression. It can change your cognition. So they'll Mm -hmm. call a brain fog, um, fatigue that you mentioned that a lot of people say they express. And that is, so many different things, fatigue, but that's a common kind of little profile of somebody that's coming in saying that they are not feeling well.
0: So a lot of people, when they talk about that, they got their hormones tested, you know, externally, they'll say, Oh, I got it tested because I was tired. So what I'm hearing from you though, is once they're in the room and they're, and you're hearing the main signs and symptoms for men, There's a a decrease in sex drive and uh, erectile dysfunction are probably the two most common amongst some of those others. And then for women, what were those again for women?
1: Women are going to experience, women also have low sex drive, but it's not their primary um, concern. (laughs) They usually will come in for the symptoms of hot flashes. So for a lot of people, they don't know what that is. That's like facial flushing chest flushing where they just feel extremely hot. And this can happen any time of day, Mm -hmm. nighttime sweating, severe sweating, um, sleep problems, low libido or sex drive mood changes, maybe partner complaints of mood changes or irritability. And then also that brain fog or cognitive changes. So when people just have a harder time concentrating, um, that's, that's kind of what women are. A lot of times, coming in for, okay, and it, and it varies a lot if they come in with their partner if they come in alone.
0: In terms of uh, what they tell you or what they're correct, yeah, okay, what they're
1: willing okay. to disclose and what yeah. their priority is. It's sometimes hard to discern what the person's priority is without their partner, because their yeah. partner will speak with them. So that's a that's a big thing that I know it doesn't sound very kind but I really encourage people to go to their pro- provider the first time by themselves, because a lot of times people have a hard time saying how they're feeling Yeah. because it affects that sexual component of people's relationships. Right. Right. Like being honest about performance, it, like it may affect like the compatibility where someone's feeling not desired. It's really not a desirability. It's a decrease in testosterone and it's not, a, you know, like it's not a fault. the partner
0: yeah yeah it's pretty fascinating i i've heard uh over the years and uh you know worked in in uh, a couple of spaces where hormone replacement therapy was uh, administered and that relational aspect is very very challenging for different reasons for men and women but when you talk about the sex drive And or sexual performance, you know, there's a lot of guilt that comes with that for both men and women. I've heard women say, "Well, they, I feel guilty because I'm just not as uh, attracted to. I'm not as interested, and so they feel like that something is wrong with them, or something's wrong with their spouse, or maybe they're just, you know, they've lost the spark, so to speak. And then with men, it's the combination of that sex drive is down. So they don't quote unquote, feel like a man and then maybe performance isn't there. So then that makes them feel even more confidence. Yeah. Guilty. Yeah. They, yeah it, they're just, they don't have that confidence, it right? Really
1: affects their confidence in a cyclical loop,
0: like yeah. you're saying.
1: So that means when someone feels a lack of confidence, then they are not going to engage in it and not going to engage in it makes the partner feel not desired. Yeah, And then they defend the behavior by saying, you know, I'm and they're not even always willing to disclose that they think it's testosterone. Mm. And so most most of the discussion around testosterone is the sexual component. But we don't really know. Uh, most people don't really know how much it does for your cognitive, your mind. Yeah. Um, the way you feel about yourself is a lot with that dopamine. So when you have dopamine increase in your body, you have an increase in the ability to produce testosterone.
2: Mm.
1: So that's one of the things where we know a cognitive change is correlated with depression and fatigue. When you stop working out and you stop moving, your testosterone goes down. So you can see that these things become cyclical. They come together and they kind of break down how you're feeling and it increases the depression but it's also the testosterone decrease that decreases your arousal and your ED right yeah. so then they kind of come together and it it just feels a little bit overwhelming and most people don't know they're correlated
0: yeah yeah and i think that's an important thing to to understand i mean sometimes the, when uh, when people have these situations it's not something that you can just talk through with your partner or spouse well, communication is extremely important. Um, if if the hormones are out of balance, if testosterone is low and you don't get that testosterone at an optimal level, you're still going to struggle. regardless of the communication, communication is is an important uh, aspect of any relationship, but that's not the tool that's going to fix it. There is a there there's more to it, and the, it's it's very nuanced and very complex. So I really like how you're talking about that, People are, when they come in uh, for the first appointment, they should come in just by themselves so that they can be open, talk to the practitioner, uh, their healthcare practitioner about where they're at, how they feel, and really just lay it out on the table and understand that the healthcare practitioner is there. They have probably seen it all. And so what you're bringing to them is not anything new. And while it might feel a little bit uncomfortable for you, that's okay, because uh, that's the only way we grow as we step into that, uh, you know, that uncomfortable uh, feeling. What are some so other challenges? Other thing, yeah, yeah, go
1: I think um, for people to come in with a goal, wow, a great. lot of times it's overwhelming and they don't have direction. So they just come in and they have this thing where they want me to fix them. They're just say, okay, fix me. Yeah. And we don't necessarily what know what fix means for you, Steve could be really different than Bob or Fred or Tim, right? Steve may want to fix his depression and brain fog Mm -hmm. and Tim is only interested in a sex drive. Yeah. So it's a, it's a big deal for people to come in and say, you know, I want hormones. I'm not sure what I know about them, but my goal is I need to have better relationship with my wife. I need more energy. So in general, when I have patients that go to other people or they're, going to a specialist or coming to me, I say, for a 30 minute appointment, you want to bring at least one goal, maybe two, no more. And yeah. that way we can achieve the results you're looking for. And I can direct you towards options to maximize your time and mine. For sure. A,
0: yeah. Great point. It really educates the the process over, overall. It reminds me of when I got the last time I got my uh, hormones tested. I did the blood work and I had a goal. My goal was to see if I could optimize and be in that most optimal range so that I could increase my strength and you know, maintain a lean uh, body mass as well. And I was already fairly lean and I you know, work out consistently. And so there was nothing really wrong. It was just what is possible. And so we did the test, I looked at the results and after looking at the results and talking it through, I was, you know, I was in a good range, but not optimal range. But I was right below optimal. So I thought, well, okay, let's look at some other factors. Do I really want to do this? Do I really want to take it? Because I had a goal of optimization. I made a choice to to not do uh, hormone replacement therapy at that time, and I changed a few lifestyle factors. I, you know, was honest with myself and said, hey, I'm not going to bed uh, at a normal time. I'm not getting enough sunshine during the day, there were two or three things that I focused on. And so I did those three things for three months, came back, got tested again, and uh, hormones were in an optimal range. And I was very happy with my decision, not to say that I would never do hormone replacement. Um, You know, if I get into a situation where I feel like that, that will meet my goals. But to your point, if you don't have a goal, then it makes it really difficult to know whether this is gonna be the right thing for you or not. All right, so we've talked about some of the signs and symptoms that people uh, see and feel when they are coming into you. Let's walk through what does that intake process look like? What are the things that you are asking and or looking for in that initial stage?
1: Um, So in my intake form, I have them answer questions about symptoms, how long they've been going on, um diet exercise sleep patterns those mm. kind of things because there are um, there are certain people that don't want to take exogenous or hormones externally yeah so that's that's just fine unless there's some type of dysfunction yep. so there's other medical syndromes that can maybe inhibit your ability to produce certain pro, um, hormones and in those cases with the absence of just getting extra sunshine isn't going to alter your body's ability to have that substance in your body, like vitamin yep. D, that kind yep. of stuff. Yep. Um, so I really kind of walk them through the process and have them answer a large number of questions about themselves, their symptoms, their goals, and then kind of what they already know about hormones. Cause I'm surprised how much misinformation there is or their friend Betsy referred them, or their brother Ben told them to get on testosterone. And you have people that are really seeking more supplementation for working out more of the performance enhancement version of hormones. So there's a big distinction, distinction on HRT, which is hormone replacement for wellness and optimizing your body function and feeling good or augmentation. Augmentation is pushing your body past optimal and normal levels into a range where you are in growth, a constant state of growth, um, for muscle hypertrophy, yeah, right? Right. So for me, I personally don't handle that population. I refer them out if they're looking for performance enhancement. But like really per- with-
0: performance enhancement is essentially, um, you know, back in the day, I don't know if people still use this term, but it's just you're you're using steroids, right? I mean, and uh-huh,
1: yeah, because
0: that's all it is is it's just another I don't really way of have in a problem enhancing, with it. right?
1: Yeah, I don't have yeah. a problem with it. I just don't choose to manage it, right? Because right. Uh, because of the risks and the demands on um, the relationship.
2: Yep. So for me,
1: I'm really looking to create wellness in the environment and help people seek balance.
0: Yeah. I I tend to lean on the side just personally where I I think hormone replacement therapy to treat issues, to get people to a healthy state is a phenomenal way to go. Um, I've seen and known a lot of people that have done uh, the other side of it where they're doing it to enhance performance. And I, I, I can't say that I'm... Uh, overly critical of that because I understand that uh, you know some people might be in a situation where they feel like that's the thing to do. So I'm, I guess I'm not one to judge. Uh, not my preference, not something like I mentioned before. When I found that I was in good and not optimal range, I chose not to go that route because we're literally talking about, do I want to spend the time and take the risk, spend the money and uh, push further just for a physical change that has nothing to do with my health? And I just chose not to now i will say when i was in my early 30s i had a health issue where um, that caused me as the way my doctor described it to just create a cascade uh of hormonal uh, issues and so when i got everything tested um you know i you mentioned hot flashes i was actually in my Mm mid-30s having hot flashes and the uh, doctor uh, and i had several conversations back and forth and she said look we need to get you on something. Otherwise you, uh, you can do all these other things. You can go to, you can eat better. Mm -hmm. You can get sunshine. You can go to sleep earlier. It's not going to do anything. And so there was probably about a three month period of time where I got on hormone replacement therapy. And then at a certain point, something just clicked like energy was higher. Everything felt better. And so we uh, pulled me off of that and I felt like a million bucks. My lifestyle factors were then supporting what I was doing. Now, I just tell these stories, not so that somebody looks at this and says, oh, that's what I want to do. But just to say, I can relate. I've been where people are at, whether it's on thinking through the performance issue or thinking through the uh, issue of how do I improve my health. So let's let's talk about some of the misinformation that you uh, just referenced. What are the most common things that you're hearing people talk about when they come in to see you?
1: Um there are medical conditions like hypogonadism where people are not producing males in particular okay um are not produ- producing enough testosterone and that means even if they have like undescended testicles they mm. won't grow to maturity they won't be able to produce sperm they will be infertile Interesting. so not taking hormones changes their life yeah so there's right. there's medical conditions like you're saying that we run into that I guess a comparison is a type one diabetic and a type two Right. type one diabetes is not having insulin in your body. And type Mm -hmm. two can be behavioral. It can be genetic and can be insulin resistance from food consumption. There's a lot of different variations. One can be supplemented with diet and exercise, but a type one diabetic can't, they don't make insulin they will die without insulin. It's not a choice. So when we talk about certain hormonal conditions, when women hit 51, it's in the U S the average onset of uh, menopause for women is 51 right now. So when women hit this age range, perimenopause and menopause, their body stops producing. It stops. It's not like men where, um, there's a vast range of uh cessation or decline. Some men in their forties will experience a decline in testosterone, but it's not in the same comparison as menopause where it actually is a faucet and it turns off intermittently and slowly for about three to four years. And then it's done. It's mm-hmm. totally done. So a total cessation of hormones has a lot higher range of side effects for women than it does in men. Where men will start to have smaller symptoms, um, or and it varies. I'm not a man, so I'm not going to say that your symptoms are as big as they feel to you, for yeah, real. Right. It doesn't sure. matter who evaluates them, but turning a faucet off is quite different than a slow cessation.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So the different miss, experience. The miss a lot of mm-hmm, a lot of the misinformation around hormones comes from the 90s and 80s, and it was when. They were giving synthetic primpro um, estrogens and progesterones to women that had some serious side effects. And when people speak of HRT now, primarily they're speaking of bioidentical hormones, which are hormones derived from plants that are not um, synthetic molecules that can't be patented. So that's what makes them different than um, a prescription drug that is a synthetic m- isomer that mimics a molecule that occurs in our body.
0: So are you referencing like one of those things that I remember hearing so long ago that has, it seemed to continually perpetuate is this idea that if I do hormone replacement therapy, it's going to cause cancer.
1: Yeah. So there are risks involved with any type of supplementation, but a synthetic form of hormone has way more risk than the bioidentical hormone. Okay. So before you get that if you have a history of hormone dependent tumors meaning that they that they thrive on hormones mm. that would be a conversation that you would have with your provider but it's just not spontaneous combustion that it occurs gotcha. in every person as soon as you get on a hormone you really have to have those receptor sites that will accept a hormone to grow the cancer. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. So there's got to be a pre-existing condition uh, Mm -hmm. and and some sort of affinity towards that, that you need to be tested for. You need to understand.
1: Right. And, and that being said, the synthetic molecule has a much greater effect towards that than the one that's in made in nature, right? The plant one.
0: Interesting. What are some Um, of the other misinformation uh, topics that are brought up when when, that you hear?
1: I think just doing lifestyle changes for women will fix everything. I think that um, tends to be like you've mentioned, you're like, oh, if I just get enough sleep, then I'll be okay. But for women that are in menopause, um, the decrease in progesterone causes insomnia. Yeah. So they they can't sleep. And then people are like, "Well, you need to get enough sleep." <laughs> Their body is thank actually, you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, "Well, that... thank you." Thank you. Melatonin and horrible. progesterone. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> progesterone is one of the primary components that regulates that sleep cycle for for women. Yeah. So waking up at about two o'clock in the morning all the time really inhibits your body getting into what they call as a deep REM. Now we know that if people don't get in a deep REM, what occurs is they have what they call as phases of uh, your hormones get to peaks at night, right? Mm-hmm. Sleeping increases like your decreases your cortisol, and then your cholesterol will bind to different hormones, making more of them, right? So like when when a person has sleep apnea, when they're waking up in the middle of the night and they don't know that increases their cortisol and decreases their testosterone so mm. much so much that even the va <laughs> even the va <laughs> recognizes this and will make people get sleep studies before wow. they put them on testosterone wow. which i love the va but it's not the origin of the most advanced knowledge on how we take care of patients <laughs> right right but even when the va says hey we're not putting you on testosterone unless you have a sleep study. It's a big deal. So I think recognizing when there's actually a deficit versus supplementation.
0: Yeah. So for, for women in particular, understanding that a mis misinformation or misunderstanding uh, understanding is that they can't just fix some of these things with lifestyle because there is a significant change that is happening inside of the body. And so
1: there is zero or no hormone being produced that regulates that circadian rhythm that regulates the sleep wake cycle. So if you have no water, you're not going to grow any type of plant, right? Yeah. It's just not there. Right. And then I think for men, the, Um, the one thing about supplementation for testosterone is they think that hyper virilized men, meaning tons of testosterone makes you have a great libido. The problem with that is too much testosterone really decreases your libido. You need an estrogen balance with testosterone to maintain your libido. So Mm okay. Testosterone is really, really important, but you also need the prolactin that, um, that's what causes the refractory period after people have sex prolactin, and then people supplement with like B6 to reduce the pro the refractory period. So there's a lot of like in-depth thought that people are putting into this on how to maintain wellness as we're living so much longer. If your hormones stop at 50, And if they decline in, as in men at 40 and you're living till 90, you still want the benefits of bone density, heart, sleep, estrogen, like regulation for, um, what is it called? The epithelial cells in your heart, you know, heart health. It's a really big deal.
0: That's a pretty fascinating thing to think about the, what the average lifespan is today. You know, if people are living, even into their 70s. And this, this major change happens in your 50s, you got another 20 years of dealing with this. If you live to your 90s, you got that. I mean, that's what are we sitting at 35% of your life that you're living Uh almost 40% of your life that you're living without hormones. And uh, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, when people were not living as long, this was not an issue. And so I think that, uh, you know, brings up this idea that some of this understanding, some of this research is new and it's ongoing and it's ever changing because we didn't have to look at these things. We had we didn't even have the technology to look at these things two, 300 years ago, but we also weren't living as long. So I think that's a really important point. Um, Celeste, you mentioned the the difference between the faucet turning off for women and the faucet kind of slowly dripping for men. So with women, the menopause, with men, andropause, talk about what men experience as they go through that.
1: Uh, this is kind of a misnomer. Um, it's not really the same. It's just more of a decline. And the, the very interesting thing about men is some men actually maintain high levels of testosterone all the way into their eighties, but that's, that's more of an outlier. That's not the bell curve or what yeah. we're talking about as normal. Um, what happens is after about 40, they, there's a decline in testosterone. The most interesting random decline in testosterone is when you have a baby. So when somebody is partnered with a a woman, right, and they'll have a child, men gain weight and everyone's like, oh, they're gaining weight because uh, they're all eating for two. Well, actually, it's a hormonal signal to decrease their testosterone to make them stop participating in propagation. They're supposed to take care of this baby. And yeah, so the biggest decrease in testosterone is in their 40s and when they're having children. Yeah, so, that's
0: fascinating. I didn't I didn't know yeah, that, but it makes sense. Funny. There's a guy that I used to, was a mentor of mine for a lot of years, and he studied a lot of this stuff. And uh, he used to say, you know, the best way to increase testosterone is just change your sex partners frequently. And he goes, that's probably not the best way to live, but that is the best way to increase your testosterone because then it's just going to continually boost. So if you're in a committed relationship and you have kids, uh, testosterone uh, will drop. And there's a, there's a biological reason it, it for that. It does.
1: It does only in the first about nine months, and they believe it's due to pheromones.
0: Interesting. Because
1: that's the time period in which a baby would be able to walk and the mother would be able to provide and take care of it. So for the gestation period and a short time after, it decreases.
2: So there's much more of a nurturing.
1: Yeah. Your friend's idea about switching partners, really the best way for people to, one of the best ways is breathing. To Mm. increase your testosterone or, yeah, I'm not saying go do what he said. (laughs) (laughs) Nose breathing, sleep, they give you way better boosts than sexual partner differentiation. It really just changes the content of the sperm if you have fighter sperm or swimming sperm.
0: Talk about the nose breathing. Why? I I know there's a lot of benefits about nose breathing. There's several great books out there uh, about breath. Why? What does nose breathing do to uh, testosterone?
1: So, um, like I said, the biggest thing that people recognize is sleep apnea or sleeping. And part of that is breathing through their mouth. Mm. That obstructive sleep apnea comes from mouth breathing. Um, nose breathing regulates the amount of oxygen saturation and pacing, mm. So it doesn't give you buildups of CO2 that change your production of dopamine and cortisol. So that's one of the ways that it works on that pathway. Okay. Yeah, so there's actually like a book, maybe I think it's called Jaws, um, and it talks about the benefit of breathing through the nose. And it shows you pictures of the aesthetic changes that occur to the face for protrusion of jaw, Mm -hmm. atrophy in the masseter, and then change in the distension of the eyes. So not only the aesthetic components, but how it changes the shape of your face and body to mouth breathe. So daytime nose breathing without the extent of eating or talking or exercise. Um, and then nighttime, there's even, there's even studies that say, um, like a soft tape, like a paper tape on people's mouth to help them practice this
0: because
1: nighttime nose breathing affects those cycles even, even more. Um, so I, I learned about the light. mouth
0: taping. Uh, I want to say on tape or mouth yeah. or breathing for just a second. So I bre- learned about the mouth taping a few years ago from a good friend of mine. And I went on Amazon, bought some of that uh, 3M tape, started doing the mouth taping. And I can tell you out of anything that I've ever done to improve my sleep, that's it. Like that significantly changed so many things in my uh, overall wellness, I would wake up, or I do wake up feeling so much more refreshed. Um, I'm able to breathe better through my nose during the day. When I am in a zone two, even push into a zone three in my cardio, I can still nose breathe. And that's conscious. I practice that. And mm-hmm. I just find that I feel so much better. And you think about if. You are, if you can get in a zone three and you're still breathing through your nose, your regulation, your, your, your catecholamines are not spiking. You're not getting this yep. like highly energetic it's rush of, oh all. yeah, yeah. yeah the, uh, wow. I'm so inflammatory
1: uh, response. Uh-huh.
0: Exactly. And you feel phenomenal. Um, you know, when, once Danielle and I started nose or, or mouth taping, uh, bad, we just started to feel better. And then we started to take it a little bit further when we'd go for our walks and we would focus even more if we're walking or hiking and it gets more difficult to keep our mouth shut and just breathe through the nose. Those two things right there have been, uh, you know, just staggering the health benefits.
1: Well, something that really hits on that is weight training. So yes. when you're mm-hmm. doing endurance um, training, to do that first, to do the high endurance weight training before um, your cardio that will affect the increase in your testosterone for upwards of 24 to 48 hours. Oh, wow. And okay. so this, Interesting. yeah. So hit, hit training prior to endurance this, and this is like the UFC, like you can look up their research in it
0: too. Okay. Yeah. Interesting.
1: This is, this is actually, um, charted. And when they talk about weight training, they're talking about high intensity and that mm-hmm. means like eight reps. You're looking yeah. at like six to eight reps, 75% of your capacity for that.
0: Now that's really cool. So, so I've always programmed uh, strength training first. The opposite. Yeah. yeah. No, I, oh. I, I like strength well, training do. first. Yeah. Because uh, for a couple of reasons, one, I want your energy to be as high as possible because I believe preserving muscle has got to be the number one goal, if not building muscle. And um, if you can have the majority of your energy going towards your strength program, uh, you can slog through any cardio after that. It doesn't matter, right? Whether you're doing low intensity or high intensity, it's going to be, I mean, if you do high intensity, then you're just hitting high with high. But if you're doing low intensity, you're bringing it down to a zone two. Um, yeah. I. So I've always programmed that. I found better results with with every population, whether you're an athlete or uh, little old lady that's recovering from your hip surgery or whatever it is. I've just found so much better, uh, so many better results uh, physically from a strength standpoint, hypertrophy, it doesn't matter, uh, better results with strength training first. So that's really fascinating to hear that it's affecting the hormones in a positive way too.
1: Yeah. And you want the other thing, there's one other caveat of that is if the endurance training or your cardio is greater than 70 minutes, they say 74 minutes that's going to decrease your testosterone.
2: Oh, interesting. So that means okay. like
1: the depending of the intensity of the training, um that's you increasing your cortisol. So if mm. you're like on a 2-3 hour hike, depending upon its intensity, that's not going to be the same as you running as fast as you can for an hour. You yeah. know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Wow, fascinating.
1: Okay. So yeah.
0: Talk about uh, more of these uh, lifestyle factors. I know we we've referenced strength, we've referenced light, we've referenced sleep, but there are several lifestyle factors that play into a person's hormone health. And we're we're obviously not talking about somebody who has uh, perimenopause or been through uh, right. you know on the other side of menopause. So just the general the rest
1: optimization of a, from twenty to forty five.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about some of those lifestyle factors. Well, actually
1: the sunlight viewing, we haven't really talked about that is in the first hour of being awake, Mm -hmm. two to eight minutes looking at the sun and not to the point where you're damaging your eyeballs, but that really changes the, um, the sleep cycle for you that will initiate the melatonin secretion at night that will help you get your eight hours of sleep that help that REM that increase your dopamine, that increase your testosterone production. So actually, two to eight minutes in the morning, the first hour you wake up, viewing a light source.
0: Now I've I've heard so for somebody like myself who gets up before the sun comes up, that it is beneficial to get as many lights on as you can, but then sometime before ten o'clock, uh, when the when the rays of the sun are at a lower angle, to do what you're talking about. So as soon as Um, possible, but that's sometime before the angle changes.
1: But I think it differs on just depending upon who discusses this behavior, the duration and the time. Um, I don't think I've ever seen anything past about nine 30 to 10 o'clock for light viewing Yeah, just because that 12 hour cycle starts a little bit earlier and you want the melatonin to secrete as the sun goes down, but we're not an agrarian society anymore. Right. So our right. light is totally different. So, so probably within get that the 12 hour range. Then. Yeah. 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 Because if you're going to bed at nine o'clock or 10, you would want melatonin secretion for two to three hours prior
0: to that. Wow. Okay. What about light yeah. at night? What's important? at
1: night? Um, yeah. So bright light in the middle of the night. So this is a huge thing that's changing the way people sleep. And how long they're able to sleep. So somebody wakes up in the middle of the night, they can't sleep. So the first thing they do is pull up TikTok or Instagram or got the phone right in front of their face. Exactly. So too much light in your eyes. um, This will decrease your dopamine production. And there is a lot of studies on this, especially the way this is affecting kids' brains and Mm. kids' sleep cycles. So that actually, you can look at that study in Cell and Neuron, and it'll okay. show you really past 10 o'clock, you shouldn't be viewing bright lights. And even this can be attributed to people having TVs in their room and watching TVs and falling asleep with TVs, like really yeah. poor sleeping habits. Like there's a lot of um, people don't realize, but there's, they call it um, like sleep. What is the word when we sleep grooming or what is oh, the yeah. word when
0: you, right. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of sleep hygiene, sleep grooming. Sleep hygiene, yeah. yeah.
1: There's a lot of caveats to sleep hygiene that we're yeah. changing based on having electronics in our room. Um, the other thing is supplementation. So supplementation is very effective, but really overdone. And as far as people just supp- supplementing at random, And I have to say that I saw this so much through COVID that it was so stressful Mm. because people were wanting any type of resource to help them be safe. So really qualifying what you're supplementing with. If you're not going to do hormone replacement therapy, every person has an annual physical with their doctor. Mm -hmm. And in your annual physical, you can get the most extensive labs during that time with minimal or no cost to you. So if you're going to talk to your provider, just say at this time, I want to test as many things as I can that will fall under this category. So you can see your testosterone, you can see your thyroid, metabolic panel, lipid panel, because once you have that Vitamin D
0: levels, would you recommend looking at that? Vitamin D,
1: Yes. Usually that can be a big part of it. There's a huge culture shifting around vitamin D, C, magnesium um, supplementation because it's going to support your immune system. And like like I said, there is a difference between a deficiency, normal, and optimal function. Mm -hmm. So when you get this lab done, I don't think you just supplement based on your symptoms because a lot of people do that mm-hmm. and a lot of symptoms are what we call multifactorial for example fatigue fatigue is not diagnostic because that means there's so many other things that it could be caused by than just one thing right yeah, so if you yeah. come in and say I have fatigue I'm not like well that's leprosy it's over for you <laughs> no you we have colony. to the colony it- <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> leprosy we have That's to great. really base it on a bunch of data points, which are your labs. Mm. So get your labs annually because you're entitled to those with your insurance. If you great don't tip. have insurance, then go to somebody that offers cash pay or cheaper labs and really do your hormones. Get all of them because it's not just testosterone or estrogen. Your thyroid is a big part of it. Vitamin D is a big part of it. B. But the other thing that I really want to encourage people to do is there's a website called examine.com. Okay. okay. This has human studies of the effects of supplementation. So if you think that you want to take vitamin D and you haven't asked anybody and you don't know anything about it, instead of just going to Walmart or Walgreens or Amazon, get on this website and type in the supplement and they will give you ranges to take of this. And then examine. that way you can at com. least, uh huh. And it's examine. human com. effects, okay. yeah. Uh-huh. Human studies. It's not how animals fared. It shows, and the other thing is, it shows optimal, optimal dosage, not just normal ranges.
0: So let me ask you this: with with Examine dot com, because that today's the first I'm hearing about this, and and uh, I appreciate that resource. I'm excited to go uh, look it up. I find a lot of people want to take a supplement to fix a problem that, as you said, it's multifactorial. There's many different things that play into it. Um, they spend a lot of money. and What I tell uh, several people is if you're, you are not working with a healthcare practitioner, you can just take your money. Instead of going and spending it on those pills, just bypass the no man and throw your money in the toilet anyway. Um, I call it, it be expensive beneficial. urine.
2: Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah.
0: What about, um, but- I know we're getting a little bit off track on this question, but the, so supplementation for hormone health is is one thing. Many, many people take a lot of supplements because they get this advertisement that pops up and the person in the ad has six pack abs or they tell you that they have had the you know the greatest sex life of their you know life recently or whatever the ad is, but there is something that makes this person say, "Okay, I am going to go buy that." Can they look up those types of supplements to look at the efficacy of it?
1: Yeah, that, this is one reason I like this website is because um, you have stuff like DHEA, black uh, cohosh, cura, yeah. fascia like stuff that actually has really like ton of supplements actually have really good evidence behind them mm. but the way our FDA is regulating supplements is that it doesn't yes so not regulating
0: <laughs> there's not reasons regulating, behind that
1: yeah, yeah because it goes into the food category it goes into right. the beauty category yep so it, really, and because honestly, there's
0: a lot of senators who made that bill that get they got we're on the payroll of a lot of these supplement companies and I know some of them.
1: There's a lot of political motivations behind this, but once we filter out those, what we can do is begin to consume supplements safely Mm. or in a more educated way.
2: So the quality of your
1: supplement and the quality of the concentrated ingredient, if it's the 30th ingredient, it's probably not your friend. It's probably not the supplement for you. But if you go to examine, um, it really, really, you can look up zinc because one of the most beneficial sets of supplements are magnesium, zinc, and vitamin D because they, supp- they support your immune function right. and inhibit that fatigue cycle where you keep getting infected or um, have that inflammatory response where your immune system is suppressed. But looking on this website will help you consume uh, supplements in a more healthy way.
0: It's a great and website. I, I just the, pulled this up. I mean, this is yeah. awesome. I just typed in creatine because I've always creatine's fascinating to me and uh, probably the most widely studied supplement uh, in the uh-huh. performance uh, space. And um, 50, th- over 50,000 other studies that this is pulling from, and it's compiling all the information into one simple area and it and you've got uh five studies for like for content and uh power it says for
1: myocarditis it tells you what they're pertaining to so you don't just take creatine because it's for your eyebrows you look yes
0: yeah (laughs) yeah look at this i mean muscle recovery cycling performance uh warmer hot weather which i i love this breakdown i one of i used to uh uh subscribed to several journals journal of strength and conditioning Uh was probably the one that i read the most um and american college of sports medicine's journal as well those were two of the most fascinating to me but um people would take these little nuanced approach with each one of these research studies and so uh you know, I'll have people come in and much as you say that there are a lot of misconceptions out there and they'll say, well, I read this, that, uh, you know, this supplement does this. I'm like, well, that's probably not the case, but let's look up the actual research and see what it says. Uh, Or it does,
1: but it only does for Caucasian males in the United States in the age range of 25 to 27. Yeah. So it's just applying some information. So pull up one of the links for creatine. The one thing that really helps you with this website is it will give you ratings on the side a b c d for outcomes fatigue symptoms the other thing is a majority of this website is free once you want to get into more nuanced information you can pay but for basic information it is free yeah the other thing that's really really important about this is don't you are not your friend. You're not your brother. You're not your dad. You're yep. you are you. You have a unique set of circumstances. You have a different metabolism. You mm. eat differently. So taking the same medication, I can't tell you how many patients that will take their husband's medication, their wives, oh. their wow. brothers, their sisters. Don't do that. <laughs> it's not really you know, it's not for you. So don't try to take their hormone supplements or supplements anyways.
0: Well, but the big guy at the gym told me that he takes this amount <laughs> right. of this particular supplement and that his doctor has is shooting him up with X amount of uh, testosterone. I, I I can't emphasize that point enough. I mean, we are all individual. I had a conversation with a colleague uh, probably an hour before we started this recording. And she said, you know, I, I've got some questions for you because one of the things that I know you've always done is you'll do your research and then you'll test stuff out on yourself uh, because you need to know how it is. And that's really what I have put into practice my entire career in health and fitness, is I've said, okay, I've read some stuff, I've had conversations with health, health practitioners, I know that this is probably safe enough to test on me. Um, and, and when I say test, I literally mean like, all right, I'm gonna yeah. change my bedtime from 10 o'clock to 9.30, and then what will that do, right? So I'm not taking these crazy risks. But then i mean
1: that's how h pylori was cured so you yes can they, sleep yeah changes yeah, you. <laughs> yeah
0: and so i literally just test those things out and i keep a journal for a period of time uh, my most recent in-depth uh, examination on myself was uh had to do with how a ketogenic or carnivorous type diet would affect the symptoms of adhd so when i got diagnosed with adhd i was, can't say that i was surprised or shocked by it Uh, but I had read some things, heard some things recently from, uh, some top researchers that talked about that, uh, ketogenic carnivorous spirits can have benefits to mental health. And so I thought, well, okay, that's interesting. I'm going to listen to what they say. I'm going to read what they wrote, and then I'm going to test it out on myself for a short period of time. So I think I went about eight, eight, nine weeks, um, of eating that way, tested my ketones, uh, kept everything else similar in my lifestyle and looked at certain markers along the way. And I came out of that test knowing, uh, having a better understanding of how my brain functions on that uh, diet, what works, what doesn't, and then factoring that into my lifestyle of, you know, is that something that I'm going to do the rest of my life long-term based on the results? So I think it's important for people to realize and understand that knowledge from a book knowledge from a study knowledge even from a podcast that's great but at the end of the day you've got to ask yourself how do i then work with somebody who's a health practitioner to test these things out on my body in a very safe way and look at what is this doing for me is this achieving my goals am i am i doing it in a proper and safe way and you know just taking mom or dad's or or your husband or your wife's pills or powders or whatever it is. That's just, that's not going to get you there.
1: Um, no. And I just think that, I think that we live inside of a model that is not preventative.
0: Yes. So 100%. Yeah.
1: I think the hard part is we attribute it to doctors prescribing pills. Mm-hmm. And I think we must attribute it to both parties because we have patients coming in asking for pills for problems that are more behavioral rather than um, medication based. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think yeah. we have to get into a space because if you're saying you're willing to test stuff on yourself and try new things, there's a big portion of the population that doesn't want to wait to see how they feel in two weeks at taping their mouth,
2: Right. you know, a right. month
1: taping yeah. their mouth. So I think like Participating in your health and well being is that you have to participate, and it's your whole life. Because people will come in and tell me, How long am I going to be on this? And you're like, How long do you want to feel better? How long? What is your long term goal? What is your short term goal? Are you trying to do a marathon? Are we really focusing on your cognition? You know, what are we focusing on? Because that's your whole life, and it's more than just me. You have to participate it. I'm one day. I'm maybe five days of your whole year. But what are you willing to do to achieve the difference between normal and optimal function?
0: Great way to put it. Absolutely great way to put it. You've got to show up. You have to participate. This is your life. I'm always fascinated by that conversation of how long do I need to do this? And there's a big mindset shift when you say this is my life. It's my body. It's my lifestyle. It's my energy. It's my health. It's my vitality. It's my strength. It's my uh, ability to do what I want to do. Um, I was chatting with a client the other day and I said, what do you want to do? And she says, well, I know what I don't want to do. And I said, what's that? She says, I don't want to feel like this the rest of my life because I have a hard time getting up and down uh, on the floor and running around with my son. And I don't want that. I said, okay, so let's flip that. What do you want? She goes, I want to be able to just do whatever. I want to be able to feel great. I want to be. And so we, we mapped out what that looks like. And I think once you understand what it is that you want and you clearly define that, excuse me, define what that looks like. You won't ask the question of how long do I need to do this thing? Well, if that thing gets you there, why is that even an issue? When does that
1: thing stop? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, when can I go back to eating the Big Macs? Probably never. Or if you want to eat them once a year, right? I don't know. My favorite example is
1: I had a patient, her oxygen was at 70. And every day she's like, I'm using less and less oxygen. I really want to wing myself off of this. And I said, winging yourself off, off oxygen is death. You yeah. will never be off of oxygen and your lungs can't do it anymore. So I think for me is if we take some of these things as serious as, as they should be, you can make a list of your priorities and, and do and the other thing is don't change everything in your life at once. Yeah. Uh, I think great point. that's the recipe for failure for a lot of people because it's yep. overwhelming. It's really overwhelming to say, I want to lose 50 pounds tomorrow. I'm going to wake up at five in the morning and I'm going to eat a lettuce sandwich yep. and diet ice. Yep. And then I'm going to run six more miles. Yeah. People have exhaust and, and they don't know where they failed. And so they fail all of them.
0: Yeah. And you can't do everything at once. and And when we're talking about hormone health, One of the worst ways to create a negative cycle and a negative cascade with your hormone health is just stress yourself out a lot more by putting unrealistic expectations you know if you want to go all in on something just pick one thing i mean goals are kind of like arms right if you've got one arm pulling on something then you can get some good uh some good pull there right and you're unique um if you got two that's probably okay if you got three you look kind of weird and uh, so if you have more than one or two goals in your life, you're probably not going to be able to accomplish anything uh, because you're just, you're going in too many different directions. You know, you stress yourself out by having too many goals. You're going to cause this negative cascade in your hormones. And it's going to be worse and worse and worse. But if you just say, hey, I want to address one thing and then just start to measure what that one thing is, give it some time. I mean, for heaven's sakes, you, you don't, it's like when you're investing in um, uh, your retirement, the first hundred that you put in to a mutual fund or stocks or bonds or whatever it is, that doesn't grow very quickly. Uh, 20, 30 years later, when you start to see the compounding take effect, that's when you start to see the curve uh, going on more of a vertical path, but it's fairly horizontal for the first 20 or 30 years. The great thing is when you work with a health practitioner and you start to get a plan in place, you can see some upward movement. You can see some positive results fairly quickly, and then all of a sudden something shifts and it, and the curve starts to go a little bit more vertical
1: what i think the so, other yeah that's really good what were you going to say
0: i was just going to say what so for people that might feel overwhelmed because i think that's a fairly common theme is people don't know what to do don't know where to turn if somebody's feeling overwhelmed they've got low sex drive or you know they they are Thinking that their hormones are off because they've got uh uh hot flashes. W- where do they start? What is the what is a great starting point for someone?
1: Um, my my old version would say, don't look it up. My new version of me, I think people should Google the crap out of their symptoms. Okay. I Interesting. think they should look them up. I think they should read about it because. Even misinformation can be powerful if people are participating in their health, that spark of interest. Yeah. yeah, That spark of interest means that they're seeking out health activities, seeking out Mm. ways to feel better. Then that means I'm a third or fourth step, you know, you should, the things that you can do for free is to evaluate your lifestyle.
2: Yeah,
1: And the biggest components of these, the way to, to assess your health for free is to evaluate your sleep, your physical activity, and your diet. Those are the biggest components that change our mood, behavior, long term wellness. And that is free. And yes. I would make a realistic diary slash journal for maybe two to four weeks. And I, I would say in that will- order,
0: too, right? Sleep, activity, diet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh I'm with you.
1: And then when they can start to notice what their real pattern is. And I think the hard thing when I ask people to do this, they view it as a performance or a competition. So writing down the good stuff on, I sleep this many hours and this is why, and I'm so good, but they still don't feel good. So just be honest with yourself and being able to evaluate it Mm. you will get the results the results are for you it has nothing to do with showing me good numbers if you come into me and say i sleep 29 hours a day it doesn't you're not winning if you don't feel better
2: (laughs) yeah so being honest
1: with yeah being honest with yourself and saying you know i don't eat well because a lot of people that i treat for weight loss they come in and say well i don't eat that bad and I just am quite confused because I'm like, hey, if we're in the space of ready to change, we're willing to admit the things that we need support with. Yeah. And these are the, the, free, these are the three, three things that are free that you can start to support yourself with and being honest with, okay, I'm going to, my goal this week is to get nine hours of sleep consistently. Mm. I'm not changing my diet and exercise all in one week. Yep. Start out with your sleep. Say, I'm going to dedicate myself to eight or nine hours on the weekends. I maybe will sleep longer. Then after that change, look at your diet. Don't say, okay, I'm, I'm never eating a fat again. I'm never eating a cookie again. Stop eating at a certain time and start eating at a certain time.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Do you know what I mean? Then start to cut things out later. But if you can start to start to achieve, because your long-term goal is made up of 20,000 little baby goals that you picked every single day. Yep, yep. Yeah, so these are the kind of things that really can change people's life and they're free.
0: Yeah, beautiful way to uh, to put it. Yeah, Yeah, beautiful way to put it. Let me, uh, last question, I've got just a couple of other, just uh, kind of wrap up questions for you in particular about your own growth and evolution. If, If somebody goes to a healthcare practitioner like yourself, what are some important questions that they should be asking the practitioner uh, relative to their health so that they become more informed?
1: Um, I Okay, so I kind of would like to reiterate the goal. Okay, You need to come into this space with the goals of your treatment. This is okay. not just dictated by your provider because you're not going to be satisfied if you're not participating in it. You won't know why you're not happy. You won't know why you're not getting what you want if you're not there trying to decide what you want because when people come into me and are just like well I have a low sex drive well that's really not the problem Mm -hmm. how is the low sex drive affecting your relationship your confidence your social interactions are you avoiding social interactions because you can't perform sexually you're single you're newly divorced Mm. you're in a 20-year marriage so being able to talk to a a your provider about why you need help and what's important to you.
0: Great. So identify that, your goal. Be yeah, clear on that. And sometimes that. if you don't know uh-huh. what your goal is, look at what you don't want and then just flip it and say, well, okay, if uh-huh. this is what I don't want, well, what's the reverse of that? And that's an easy way to get to that particular goal. Great, great point.
1: Um, I think the other thing is look at the the practitioner. What are they practicing? How much experience and time Mm. are they available? Do they have resources? Can they answer your questions? Do you feel confident in their communication skills? Mm -hmm. This is a long-term relationship. This isn't just a pop-in, you feel better. There are those places, and that may be the type of environment you want. Mm -hmm. But for longevity, you need somebody that's going to be able to talk to you about what's going on with your body. So you understand. So you have buy-in.
0: Yeah. The places where you can just say, hey, pop a pellet in me and go, probably not the best.
1: Yeah, probably not. But there are some people that like that, and that's okay. It's just not always compatible with long-term benefits. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Great. Uh, great tips for our listeners. Celeste, um, a couple of last questions for you. Uh, just in your own personal growth and evolution, what what's something that you have learned in the last three years that excites you the most?
1: Oh, that's interesting. Um, okay. So I use I just got an ultrasound for my practice. Okay. And for a long time, I used ultrasound to um, inject and stuff like that joints to do joint aspiration and joint injections and now I'm using it uh, ultrasound in a different way and just realizing um, how much growth there is to be able to see when you're putting a needle in someone's body the depth the level I think it's been like really eye-opening because people I teach people this and then I'm learning it on a whole nother level and saying, okay, some of the stuff that we have believed is different than it appears with actual video imaging. Wow. So I think for me, like, um, I also practice aesthetic medicine. It's not very respected and to evolve it into more of a medical practice mm-hmm. rather than just something that's cutesy or people think is fun to really teach people. This is medicine. Yeah. And partaking of it has risks. So I think for me, I really um that was has been really fascinating and changed the way I practice entirely.
0: Very cool. Yeah. And and I I agree. I mean aesthetic medicine, um, Cutesy, or uh, people may say, "Well, it's just vanity," and, and I—they
1: devalue it. Yeah,
0: I don't agree with that. I think that there's so much uh, to it that helps people uh, literally change their life in a in a. I hate to say, it, in a short period of time, relatively short period of time, there can be some pretty fascinating life-changing things there. Um,
1: well, and and that tie between your mind, so the way you feel about yourself and the way I perceive you when there's congruency. yeah. So a lot sure. of things with hormones, when people age, when someone is 40 and 50 and 60, they still feel like the 20 year old version of themselves. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's why hormones really help people to restore the way they felt before and bring back that cognition, the confidence, the social support that they have in their lives to be able to feel like they're participating and feel normal.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was at the gym earlier talking to a friend of mine and I said, you know, I I look around and I think to myself, yeah, I'm still in my 20s. Now, my body doesn't always tell me that, but I still feel the same way. Um, especially <laughs> right. when there's yeah. the same faces so, that we see from 20, 30 years ago, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So 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 Les, what that's, is
0: that's, Oh yeah, sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, I just think that's a really positive thing cuz we often dim- dismiss people for the the age they occupy, we dismiss their feelings as not mm. as valid. Yeah. And yeah. I think this helps people to feel the way that they think they perceive themselves. You know what yeah. I mean? Hormones that they're like, oh, my brain is clear. I feel better. Yeah, Like it's so neat to be on the other end of someone saying thank you.
0: I, th- I think a lot of people that I've heard, they just say they feel more like themselves. So it's, a, it's, it's almost exactly. like a returning to who they are. Yeah. Yeah last question for you. Um, if you, what is something that as you've evolved that you used to believe that you no longer do?
1: Um, I think honestly, when people say for someone to eat less and move more Mm -hmm. and then they will be healthy and they will lose weight. Mm. Um, when I was younger and not a provider, I thought that was true. And then I run into patients that actually eat clean and they work out all the time and they have PCOS or yep. insulin resistance. Yep. And I think for me, just realizing how much genetic variability and how many other factors play into people's long-term health yeah. than just their diet and exercise, that doesn't just change your whole life.
0: No. And that is really just like that's one component of it. So it's a much more nuanced approach. Well, uh, and on that note, folks, it is time for us to wrap up another episode of the Evolve podcast. I want to thank our guest Celeste Hicken for joining us today. Um, Celeste, you're always uh, learning, growing and evolving. What is the best way for people to can to follow you? And uh, if they have questions about hormones or uh, any of the aesthetic uh, services that you provide, Uh, how do they get in touch with you?
1: Oh, um, (laughs) you can find our website. It's called Inspire Medical Spa, or you can um, message me on Instagram through CO2Celeste. And you can ask any questions and we can set up a consult just to talk about your goals and what you're looking for.
0: Great. And we will link those in the show notes, folks. Uh, Celestic, and thanks again for coming on. Great to see you, and great to have this conversation today. Hey, remember, guys, that it does take time and consistency to evolve. But first, you have to disrupt. And now it's time for you to get out there and evolve. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Evolve podcast. Follow us on your favorite podcast app. And if you haven't done so, please give us a rating. As an independent podcast, it really helps us get more reach. This podcast is part of our mission to help millions of people evolve into the best versions of themselves. Please check out our coaching services at evolve-cast.com or pick up some of our Evolve merch. Until next time, keep evolving.